Welcome to the Mission Church Podcast. It's our prayer that this teaching equips you in your desire to grow and encourages movement in your life. I think we'd agree that moms have a very unique presence. There is this magnetic aura about you mamas. Uh, we've been sick on and off as a family for a number of weeks. This past week, Hannah was sick the entire week. And as you would guess, not one time did she ask for dad. <laughs> Every single time she asked for mom. As they say, there ain't no hood like motherhood, is there? Right? I've been told. Uh, moms, oftentimes you feel like a human napkin. Uh, oftentimes you feel like an Uber driver that never gets paid. Some of you with older kids would agree with that. Uh, many of you feel like a nurse that never gets an off day. And so on behalf of us, we know that there are times, certainly, where you feel unseen or unrecognized or unthanked. We want to make sure today that you feel seen, that you feel recognized, that you feel thanked. And so uh, I just think all of us dudes uh, and everyone else could give a huge round of applause for all the moms of Mission Church. Absolutely. We love you moms. Literally, we would not be here without you. And uh, so let me just say a quick prayer to thank God for the moms of mission. God, thank you so much for Mother's Day. In many ways, we should probably do it every week uh, to really celebrate the significance of the roles uh, that our moms played or continue to play in our life. God, thank you for the young moms. Thank you for the old moms. Thank you for every mom in between. God, we thank you and we ask that you would energize them. You would sustain them with your grace. You would speak to them. You'd give them even greater vision of what it means to be a mom. God, we thank you for Mother's Day, and we ask this Jesus in your name. Amen. Amen. The title of my sermon today is The Given and Grieved Spirit of God. Uh, you guys prayed for me. Last week uh, was a really interesting week for me personally. Uh, just uh, was laid out. And I've had a lot of time to just hang out with Jesus this past week. Uh, I think it was a forced rest and he's been talking to me specifically about this sermon I'm supposed to give to you guys right now. And um, I want to be up front. This wasn't the message I was planning to give. Uh, this isn't even the message I necessarily want to give. But this is the message God has led me to give. And so I'm going to give it faithfully this morning. Uh, I call it the given and grieved spirit of God. And the reason I think it's really important to understand more of the Holy Spirit is because we're in the book of Acts and we're studying the book of Acts and we're just a couple chapters in. And as we've been noticing already, the Holy Spirit, uh, he's not on the margins of this book. In many ways, he's front and center. Some scholars would believe that you could call it uh, the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles or through the, uh, the, the early church. And so I think it's important for us to understand more of, about the Holy Spirit. And to do that, I want to make a couple really important observations about the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Holy Spirit is given. The Holy Spirit is given. And to do that, I want us to kind of leave Acts for just a little bit. And I want us to travel back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Acts to a minor prophet known of as Joel. Everyone say Joel. Joel, yeah, it's one of your favorite books, I know. Um, if, in fact, if you can find it, like I'm going to give you a high five. It's tough to find, right? It is a minor prophet. There's just three chapters in this book. But within this minor prophet, we come face to face with a mega promise. I, I want to read the words of Joel to you from chapter 2, verse 28. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. 
Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, your reaction to what I just read is exactly what I anticipated, okay? But if you were them back then in the days of Joel, and you just heard what I just read, you would have freaked out. You're like, no, did he just say that God is going to pour out his spirit on all of us? Yeah, he said that. On sons and daughters, yeah, on both. Like no matter what your socioeconomic class, servants, everybody, they would have gotten up out of their chair, they would have freaked out, high-fiving, chest-bumping, losing their minds. This is the best news they've ever heard. So let me give you another shot. <laughs> and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That's better. That's better. That's better. I, I think one of the reasons God wants me to give this message today is be, because of something called overfamiliarity. You've, you've heard the saying, overfamiliarity breeds contempt. And what that saying means is when we become overfamiliar with something, if we're not careful, we can lose our gratitude for it. We can lose our awe of it. We, we can lose our sense of excitement and passion when we become overfamiliar. Let, let me explain it this way. This Thursday night, it was, I think it was in the mid, it was like 78, 76 degrees. And my niece was in town, and she was visiting along with her friend, and it was just such a perfect night, and so I decided to take them along with my daughter Hallie to downtown Wheaton. And so we go to this one ice cream shop, and I don't want to talk about it because I'll get emotional. It's so good. <laughs> and I buy them this amazing ice cream, and we start walking around Wheaton. Uh, I take them to the Billy Graham Center, you know, trying to teach these girls in their late teens about who Billy Graham is, and I'm excited. I'm not sure if it connected, but I was trying hard. And then we turn around and we continue to walk. And it was just this amazing night. And my level of gratitude could not be contained. I just couldn't hold it in anymore. I just shout out, praise Jesus for this weather. Okay, that's what I do. Now, I was in Wheaton. So everyone just kind of expected me to praise Jesus. All right, that's a Wheaton joke. But my people that were with me, Hallie and these two girls, they kind of were caught off guard. And they're like, what, what got into uncle, right? And, and I said to my niece, I said, don't you, don't you notice how incredible this temperature feels? And she said, well, well yeah, it, it feels nice. And the reason she responded with, it feels nice, is because for the last year she's lived in Southern California. <laughs> Hashtag overfamiliarity. Hashtag the best Christians on the planet are from Chicago, right? We are just more grateful. We're just more grateful, all right? We're just more grateful, all right? That's overfamiliarity. I mean, she didn't even notice. And I think one of the reasons God has put this message on my heart is have we become overfamiliar with the incredible news that God is not only with us and around us and for us, he is in us. The spirit of God has been poured out on all people. Ladies, you should especially celebrate. It's no longer for just the guys. No, God is doing great things. It doesn't matter your gender. If you're poor, it doesn't matter. If you grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, it doesn't matter. He's saying, I will pour out my spirit on all people. This is the best news you could ever imagine. And back in the days of Joel, trust me, they were not over familiar with this kind of news. They were losing it. They were so excited. Now, let me just give us a quick 
kind of history of the Holy Spirit within like 30 seconds. Let me just do this real quick. You see, the Holy Spirit, we got to understand, he's the third person of the Trinity. Just as the Father and Son are eternal, so is the Spirit. For example, we see the Spirit all the way back at the beginning. He doesn't just show up in Acts, and we see him all the way back in the beginning. Let me read this. Genesis 1, 1 and 2, the first two verses of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. Let's get clear on that. He created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And say it with me. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit was there in the beginning, hovering, waiting to bring new things to life. When the Spirit comes, he brings new things, new patterns, new perspectives, new songs, new levels of obedience and passion. And as you leave Genesis 1, here's what we begin to see about the Spirit of God. We do not see the Spirit of God poured out. We see the Spirit of God pick out specific people to do specific things for very specific reasons. Right? You can read the Old Testament. You'll see it. And so if you were there in the, in the audience of Joel, and you're hearing like, wait, he's going to pour his spirit on all of us? I mean, this, this was like winning the lotto. I mean, you mean we can get what some of our heroes got? You, you mean that we can, we can actually experience this, the spirit being poured out? I mean, this was a dream you couldn't dream any bigger than. I mean, this was the biggest dream they could dream. And in Joel 2, that dream of the people became the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father that a day is coming when I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. And this dream of the people to experience the promise of the Father, it only intensified from Joel. It only picked up steam. Just imagine being a generation born and died, not experiencing it. Generation after generation after Joel 2, not experiencing it. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Imagine how much the anticipation must have been intensifying. And here we see in the first century, we see the early church. Jesus, he dies, he's buried, he's ascended, right? And we see the early church, a bunch of ordinary people like you and me, huddled, worshiping, praying, waiting. And in a moment, when they weren't expecting it, the revival cloud moves out of heaven and over Jerusalem in a downpour, a downpour of the Spirit. This wasn't just drops of the Spirit. This was a downpour of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, they're singing, they're dancing, they're speaking. Signs and wonders filling the streets. This changes everything. I mean, this was so extraordinary that people were watching this and they said, man, like, what is going on? People were watching and they said, Some, someone please explain this. We've never seen anything like this. And so Peter says, I'm up for the challenge. I'll explain it. And Peter steps up to the mic. And guess what Peter reads to explain all this? Joel chapter 2, verse 28. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Doesn't matter your age. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Peter is saying those days are these days. <laughs> Peter is saying what we've been waiting for is here among us. The Holy Spirit given. Total game changer. The given spirit changed everything for them. The given spirit is meant to change everything for you. Everything for you. One of the ways I understand the given spirit is, is through a sports illustration, which is a big surprise. Um, this afternoon is game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. 
there are two Celtics fans in this church, and you just heard from them. Uh, it's, it's a game between the Celtics and the, anyone know? Yeah, the Cavaliers. Um, it, okay, there's one Cavalier fan in the house. It's okay, it's a safe place. It's a safe place. And so this is game one, and I want you to, I want you to at least watch the beginning of game one. The Cavs are favored to win. The reason they're favored to win is because there's a certain somebody on their team. Anyone want to guess? LeBron James. Some would say, I'm from Chicago, so I wouldn't be part of this group, but some would say he's the greatest of all time. Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to get into this now. That's for another day. But no matter who you believe is the greatest of all time, you would agree there is one LeBron James on the planet. I mean, he is unbelievable. Without question, he's one of the greatest to ever play the game. He's so great, and he's so unusual, they consider him an unfair advantage. I want you to say that term with me, an unfair advantage. And so I want you to just imagine, if this afternoon when you turn the game on, if the coach just gets this crazy idea, you know what we're going to do? We're going to try to win today without LeBron James. I'm telling you, riots would break out in downtown Cleveland. He's not going to do that. He would never do that as a coach. Why? Because he wants to win. And because he wants to win, his unfair advantage will not only start, but he will rarely ever leave the court. Not only that, they're not going to run their offense near him. They will run their offense around him and through him. Why? He is their unfair advantage. And this is the Holy Spirit. You got to understand, he is your unfair advantage. And every fruit-bearing Christian understands this. Every Christian that understands that fruit-bearing is the bullseye of their life, they understand this. They know their unfair advantage is the given spirit of God. And because they know that, and because they prioritize winning in the Christian life, he is not only on the court, he is what they're running their entire life around and through. The Holy Spirit is given, and he gives us an unfair advantage to win at life to win in our relationships, to win as missional communities. We're planting missional communities. Hopefully we're going to plant hundreds of these. Your only shot is to understand what I'm talking about right now. The Holy Spirit is your unfair advantage. He helps us win when it comes to our struggle against sin and temptation. He helps us. He's our unfair advantage, the Holy Spirit, when it comes to parenting. Did you know this? About being a dad about being a mom. He is your unfair advantage. The Holy Spirit is given and at the same time, the Holy Spirit is grieved. He is the given and grieved Spirit of God. Talk about a paradox. The Holy Spirit is the unstoppable, stoppable force within our lives. This is so interesting to me to think that he is both given and grieved. It's so interesting for me to think Right? That you and I can literally grieve, offend, and hurt the Holy Spirit. To think about the life of Jesus in the Gospels. Just as sin hurt, grieved, and caused sorrow to the Son of God, your sin hurts, grieves, and causes sorrow to the Spirit of God. What a sobering thought. This is what I've been thinking about all week. I've been thinking about this. Thinking about as I or we grieve the Spirit in us, what we're doing is we're holding back the growth and good stuff he wants to do through us. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 4, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Some of you have been wondering, why isn't there more spiritual fruit in your life? Spiritual fruit, if you're new to church, what this is in the Bible, it's actually defined. It's great stuff like love. I think we're all in for that. Joy. Yeah, I'll take some of that, right? Peace, patience. Who doesn't want more patience? Kindness, self-control. And here's what we got to understand. Those of you that are wondering why isn't there more fruit, oftentimes it's because your unfair advantage has been benched. He hadn't seen playing time in weeks, maybe years. Right? You've unwisely kept him out of the game of your life. You've confused grace with a hall pass to do whatever the heck you want to do. There's a big difference between believing and bearing fruit. Big difference in allegiance to God and intimacy with God. Let me ask us. We have a mission statement. There's just, it's just six words. Does anyone know why we exist? It's six words. It starts with helping. Anyone want to shout it out? All right, for the record, you did way better than the 915. Don't tell them, all right? You guys crushed it. A lot of you have clearly been in formation. Love it, love it. Helping people find and follow Christ, right? I remember back in 2010 writing that, and Tommy and I getting pumped about that. Like, that's it, man. That's it, helping people find and follow Christ. That, that is it right there. And we're just as passionate about it today. So is our staff. So is our partners. We have a partner gathering on Tuesday night. Be there if you're a partner. If you want to be a partner, get ready to experience the Holy Spirit. Come on Tuesday night. We're fired up about this. Helping people find and follow Christ. Why? At least for two reasons. The first reason is we want to see people find Christ. Forgiveness is such a big deal. But here's what I want to talk to you about. Forgiveness at the same time can become a false summit. A false summit. What's a false summit? Well, let me use this kind of word picture which is a terrible idea because we live in Chicago and there's no mountains around us, right? But if you're a mountaineer, you know what this means. If you've ever climbed anything, you know what this means. A false summit means that you set your sights on a peak that you think is the summit only to reach it to realize that you have made a grave mistake. It's not the summit after all. And you've used all your energy and expectations and hope only to get to the false summit. And many mountaineers in this moment, they say, forget it. I'm turning around and I'm climbing back down. Forgiveness is wonderful. Finding Christ is incredible. But that is not the end. It's actually not the summit. I mean, this is so important. Hear me on this. Your baptism was not the summit. And you want to get me fired up, man. I pull out this huge banner with all these names that have been baptized. Half of them I haven't seen in months or years. And maybe part of that is on me, and I'll own it, and I'll be held accountable for it. I mean, this stuff keeps me up at night. I mean, have we talked about baptism the wrong way? Maybe, I don't know. But you've got to understand, this is not the summit. Forgiveness isn't the end. If anything, it's the base camp. You're not done exploring the vistas of God's grace and mercy. You're not done helping other people understand grace and mercy. Man, we've got to be careful. Forgiveness can be a false summit. Don't fall for that. Instead, make fruit-bearing. Make holiness Make glorifying God in every aspect of your life. Listen, no matter what age you are, if you can hear me talking right now, make glorifying God. Make him look great. Make much of him with every aspect of your life. Not only that, make living as an everyday disciple of Jesus. Who is making everyday disciples of Jesus? Make that your summit. What if that became our summit? There's so much at stake. When we make forgiveness the focus instead of fruit, 
One of the biggest things it costs us is we stop doing regular inventory on if and how we might be grieving the given Spirit of God. Now, from this place of fruit bearing, I, I want to I offend. I don't want to offend, but I'm going to offend. I want to challenge you. That's the word I was looking for. Some of you are brand new to mission. This is your first time ever. And you're like, man, what a Mother's Day message this is. Uh, I know. You can email God, all right? Um, if you're new, man, we're so glad that you came. We really are. We really are. I thought Jackie did just such a great job welcoming you guys. Um, I want you to know something. I want to be really upfront. We will meet you wherever you're at on your journey of faith. It, we've always said, no matter what you did last night, right, or even this morning, we will meet you wherever you're at. Why? Because we're all about grace. And we love you too much to leave you where you're at. We're not, we're not going to leave you where you're at. We're not. We're not going to do it. Why? Why are we going to challenge you? Because we're also all about truth. We're all about truth. I didn't come up with this. In fact, in the Gospel of John, when they say, man, what, what was Jesus like? You know what it says in the Gospel of John in the first chapter? It says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. And so if that's how he did it, that's how we're going to do it. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. And so I want to finish my message with, I think, a lot of truth. I want to give some disclaimers before I do this. Uh, you're going to be tempted. There's going to be some distractions. I, I know it's going to happen because God's about to do some work. Uh, you're going to be tempted to get up and leave. Some of you, some of you might leave, and that's okay. You can come back next week. It's okay. Um, some of you are going to have to have a bathroom break. Like, it's crazy. All of a sudden, I've got to go to the bathroom, right? Um, your phone's going to buzz. What I'm asking you to do for, for three minutes is to hang in there. I want you to just hang in there. Um, you know me enough if you've been around that this is going to come from a place of love and commitment to serve you. That, that's where it's coming from. My last disclaimer um, is this. Uh, it was midweek. I started to write this fictitious story to challenge you with. And, and for whatever reason, I picked out the name Bob. So my, my last disclaimer is if your name really is Bob... <laughs> All right, this isn't about you, all right? It's just a fictitious story, all right? So don't email me about it. I don't know why I came up with Bob. It's just kind of what I came up with. Um, so I want to tell you the story about Bob, fictitious story about Bob. Bob is forgiven. He's forgiven. He is. He can tell you the day and even year when he prayed to receive forgiveness through Jesus. He's forgiven, but if you knew Bob, you'd say, yeah, but man, Seems as though Bob is bearing little spiritual fruit in his life. In fact, I can't, I can't remember the last time I felt kindness from Bob. As for self-control, that's, that's another thing altogether. If Bob's co-workers knew he had been given the Spirit, his co-workers would say, well, the Spirit must be powerless because Bob lives just like the rest of us. But there is one thing that sets Bob apart from us, and that's his performance at happy hour or the annual Christmas party. Dude can drink us under the table. As for Bob's Facebook page, you just sit back amazed at some of the things he writes, likes, shares, and posts. You think, okay, maybe Bob's been converted, but clearly his Facebook hasn't been converted yet. Bob shows up on most Sundays with his girlfriend, even helps out from time to time. Speaking of his girlfriend, it's no surprise they've been sleeping together for a while now. In fact, they're planning to move in together this summer. Why not? It just makes economic sense, Bob says. 
That being said, whatever you do, do not make the mistake of sharing with Bob what it says in the Bible about all this. Besides, the Bible isn't authority anyway in Bob's life. Bob is the authority. And trust me, you'll come to experience that if you ever try and correct him. Here's the thing. Bob doesn't fear God. Nope. Bob fears missing out on what Bob wants to do when Bob wants to do it. How do I explain all this? Pretty simple. The Spirit's been given to Bob, but the Spirit's been grieved and continues to be grieved by Bob to the point that Bob is both forgiven and fruitless at the same time. I want to be real clear. I was Bob for a number of years in my life. The guy up here earlier with the guitar, Tommy, he was Bob for a number of years in his life. And I can't explain what God's doing to me right now in my life. But he has lit a fire in my heart for you to pursue holiness. He has lit a fire in my heart for us to examine our lives, to say, God, is there anything that is grieving your Holy Spirit? I mean, this past week, you guys, I don't know what happened to me. I couldn't get out of bed. I'm bawling. I'm weeping. She's praying over me. I don't know what God's doing. But this sermon is so important. I want you to know this doesn't come from this place of condemnation. It comes from a place of love. I was Bob. But praise God, the Spirit of God convicted me so much that I decided to say, you know what, I want to walk a new life. I want to repent. I want to confess. And here's what you will see on the other side of confession. There is freedom. Man, if you could only understand what's in my heart for you. There is so much freedom for you. I mean, you can walk free from this stuff. I mean, you really can. There is so much joy for you. There is so much kindness God wants to do through you. There's so much self-control, you wouldn't even believe it, nor would they. So, I want to ask you to pray a prayer written by a former Bob by the name of King David. Psalm 139, he writes, Search me. And what if you were that humble today? Search me. I don't care what age you are, junior, high, or high schooler. Search me. And you've never even thought about this idea. God could search you? Yeah, he made you. Search me. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. You know, this week, God has been reminding me of so much that Jesus has done for me. I've just been picturing Jesus with me every single minute of every single day. Man, I would think about my life differently, what I would do and not do. Well, that is the same thing. The Spirit of God is within me. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray that prayer. Not only that, I want you to come to the altar. We've been talking about revival since we started this church. Here's the truth. Revival never starts out there. It starts in here. It begins from within. And some of you are saying right now, thank God I'm not like Bob. Let me ask you this. Are you like Jesus? He's the measuring stick. So last service, man, I just said, come on up to the altar, man. 
our band's gonna sing this awesome song over you. There's maybe 15 people. And I just kind of scratched my head. What if every single one of us, we said, God, I want you to search me. I want, I want you to search me. Am I grieving your spirit in any way possible? I'm going to pray for you, and when you're ready, you can just come on up here. You can come in the aisles. Just to be clear, if someone gets up, it doesn't mean their life is a complete disaster. Finally, they got up. Right? You know what it means? Maybe they've never been more serious in their life about pursuing holiness to make much of Jesus. God, I'm asking, as I've been asking, Spirit of God, fall in the form of conviction on your people. Come. Now. Lift people out of their seats if you have to. Move them. Every age. Do work. This is going to be a defining moment for you. Chains are going to break today in the house of God because the Spirit of God. The Spirit who is within you responds to humility, to confession, to obedience, to owning your sin. And so God now shine a holy spotlight on any area of our life that is not pleasing and honoring to you. We're asking you to do that. I'm asking you to do that. As we come to the altar, we know your arms are open wide. And we thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing and what you're continuing to do. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You might be asking, now what? Well, simply head to wearemission.com and discover where your next steps could take you.